It's good to be in the Lord's house. I count it an honor to be here. I appreciate the church and the committee giving me this job. And I want you to pray for me that the Lord help me. I'll be 84 in June. As you get older, sometimes you just can't think of what you used to think. <laughs> uh, but uh, <clears throat> I hope that I can deal with the subject well this morning and that it might help somebody. My favorite scripture I want to give you the sword off, and you know it well. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's my favorite scripture. There is none better, as far as I'm concerned. There's a lot of wonderful scriptures. I think my next scripture, John five twenty four. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And I like this, And shall not come in condemnation. Amen. People often ask me, What scripture do you give them when you want to talk to somebody that believes in falling from grace? And that's the one I give them. Amen. If they won't take that, they won't take any of them. But my subject this morning, Brother Brad's done told you, my subject this morning is love. I think that's an important subject. And it's one that the Lord put on my heart, and so uh, that's what you get. I believe that's the way that we ought to do it. Let the Lord lead us in everything. We ought to love the Lord because He first loved us. But I want to talk about Jesus. Everybody's talked about Jesus, and I don't get tired of hearing about Jesus. But I just want to hit the high points about Jesus and go through some things about Jesus and just hit the high points. But I want you... To meditate today on how much God loves you. And we ought to love Him deeply. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, it's mentioned of a determinate council. I believe that determinate council occurred before the world ever was or man was made. I think that there was a point in that determinate council that was between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead. I believe that there's a point in time that they were thinking about creating man. I think the father might have said, if we make man, he'll sin. If he does, he'll have to die and be cast into hell with the devil and his angels. 
But I believe God's mercy caused him to say, but I want to show mercy on him. But God's justice would say it wouldn't be just. I think God's grace would cause him to say, I want to show him unmerited favor. But God's justice would say it wouldn't be just. God's love would cause him to say, I'd like to show him love. But justice, justice would cause him to say it wouldn't be just. And I believe the Son of God stepped up and he said, Father, I'll go. I'll go. I'll become a man. I'll live above sin. I'll die for their sins. And the father said, go. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman made under the law. I'm just going to hit the high points here and get get on down. So angel appeared to Mary, a virgin in Galilee. And he told her that she was going to bear a son. She doesn't understand it. And he told her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll conceive and bring forth a son. And he told her uh, several things, but he told her his name is to be Jesus. He told her that his name was to be Jesus because he was to be Savior of the world. That's what Jesus means, the word. My name don't mean nothing. But Jesus' name means something. It means he's Savior. Soon Joseph seen that she was with child and thought she'd betrayed him and was thinking about putting her away. But the angel appeared unto him and told him, that the Holy Spirit had overshadowed her and that conceived within her was of the Holy Ghost and that she was supposed to bring forth a child. And he told him that his name was to be called Jesus. I like the name Jesus. Boy, he's precious to me. He and the Father... You know, there are children that's got uh, imaginary friends. They can't see them because they're imaginary, but they'll talk to them. You know, my friend's not imaginary. He's real. I can't see him, but I can talk to him 24-7. I talk to him every day. Sometimes I'll talk to him off and on all day. I may be going down the road in the car. I may be anywhere. I may be doing any kind of work and talking to the Lord at the same time. I'm glad that we can talk to the Savior of the world that saved us. They had to go to Bethlehem for taxes and while... while uh, they were there. 
They couldn't find room in the inn. And that's the way Jesus' life was. Some people say he was born in a barn. I think he was born in a sheepfold or corral. But uh, no doubt that he was laid in a trough, feed trough, a manger when he was born. That's starting off poorly, isn't it? Herod sent out his armies. Killed babies from two years down. But God had appeared to Joseph and, and let him know that that was going to happen. And he took uh, Mary and Jesus into Egypt until Herod had died. And then they traveled back to Galilee where Jesus lived for about 30 years as a carpenter's son. One day, when he was about 30 year old, Mark says, he went down to the River Jordan to be baptized by John, John the Baptist. Boy, John thought it ought to be the other way. But Jesus said, suffer it be so, for it becomes us to fulfill all acts of righteousness. Well, I can't go past that without telling you something here. Baptism is an act of righteousness when it's right. It's not an act to make you righteous, but when you're righteous, it should be one of the acts that you do. Jesus was God's son. And you need to be a child of God, born again, before you're baptized. When you're baptized, you say, I'm dead to sin. Raised to walk in nearness of life. Boy, it's everything out there. We need to tell it like Jesus told it. Like His Word tells it. We need to be true. Jesus, He started His public ministry. After He was baptized with John, He went out into the hills first. And there he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came to him in that weak moment and tried to tempt him. But unlike us, he wasn't wasn't tempted by the devil. He didn't sin. He tried hard to get him to sin, but he didn't. I was studying about the devil being cast out of heaven one time. And I thought that uh, it was probably when Jesus died at Calvary. But I was reading the scriptures and Jesus told his disciples about seeing him fall. So I said, when was that? When could that have been? And I can't prove it, but here's what I think. He's called that old accuser. You know how he accused Noah, Job. He's that old accuser. He'd go before God and accuse uh, uh, his children. And he led him. But uh, 
I believe after he tempted Jesus and Jesus didn't sin, I think he might have went into heaven and lied on Jesus, got himself thrown out. That's what I think. You can think about that and see what you think. But he got thrown out sometime before Jesus. <laughs> before Jesus died at Calvary because he seen him fall. And I thought, when could that be? And that's what I come up with. But he's thrown out of heaven. He can't go up there and accuse us anymore. But he's down here trying to deceive everybody. And he's trying to lead us astray. We don't need to be tempted by him either. We need to turn him aside. Jesus was tempted of the devil, and then he began his public ministry. Everywhere he went, they mistreated him. They said everything to him. He could have called those legions of angels, but he didn't. No time. God the Father could send them any time. And God the Father was looking down, seeing how they was treating his son. It didn't happen. He just kept putting up with things because he loved us. The Father let them do those things to his son because he loved us. After about three and a half years of his public ministry being mistreated, time after time when he went everywhere doing good, healing people who were sick, even raised some from the dead, doing good things everywhere and doing things that they ought to know that he was from God. But the most of them rejected him. Oh, how that must have hurt him. How that must have hurt the father. He was given his son for those Jewish people to. But they rejected him. They rejected him. Then Judas betrayed him. People from the, men from the, Priests came after him. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Peter cut off one man's ear, and he rebuked Peter because he had to go to Calvary to save us. He rebuked Peter for doing that, and he took that man's ear and put it back on. I've thought a thousand times, I guess, if I'd been that man, I'd left the country. He ought to bow down before Jesus. Jesus loved him too. They took Jesus up to the high priest and there they mistreated him badly. Can't you imagine when they're making fun of him, spinning on him, pulling his beard? And they smack him with their open hand, blindfold him, smack him with open hand. So prophesy who it is that smote you. And he was just quiet. Went like a lamb 
before the shares. Dumb, he doesn't speak. Doesn't speak like a lamb. Then cry out. They were mistreating him badly. There's one word there that they did to him that you might not have understood. I hope you all did, but uh, I want to tell you what it says if you all know it. One word says they buffeted him. That means they beat him up with their fist. Now, I, I want you to notice another word there besides buffeted. It says they. It means every one of them were beating Jesus up with their fist. Jesus was in bad shape long before Calvary. He didn't call those legions of angels. The Father didn't send them. They let it happen because they loved us. Think on it, brethren. They loved us. This shows how much they loved us. Well, they took him before Herod and before Pilate, and Pilate just washed his hands, he said, of the whole thing, but then he scored them. That's not washing your hands, is it? He was guilty. He scores the Son of God. That was a handle about so long, had uh, leather straps in it and metal and bones tied in the end, and when they whipped him, it took out flesh. But he didn't call those angels. The father's looking down, watching that. That's got to hurt. How would you feel if somebody's beating your son like that? God's looking down from above and seeing that. But he didn't send those angels. Jesus didn't call for them. The soldiers took him out and clothed him in a purple robe and put a crown on his head of thorns, making fun of him, spitting on him. He still didn't call his allegiance of angels. The Father didn't send them. Because he loved us. Man, what love. He was in bad shape. But they put his clothes back on him and they put his cross upon him and he couldn't carry it. He fell under it. They summoned the man of Simon Cyrene to carry his cross up Calvary's hill. When they got up there on Calvary's hill, they nailed him to the cross. Every time they drove a nail, he could have called the angels, but he didn't. The fact is, he could have come down without the angels. God could have sent the angels, but he didn't. Because he loved us. Let's get it. How much he loved us. Let's remember how much he really loved us. He loved us and the Father loved us. And he still does. It's a great thing to be born again and know that the Lord loves you. 
and God the Father loves you, and the Holy Spirit loves you, and you can feel His presence. Great thing to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was crucified between two thieves. That mob walked by, wagging their heads. Said, if you be the Son of God, get yourself down. See, they, they're still saying hard things to him even after he's hanging on the cross. But he didn't come down. They said, if you be the Son of God, get yourself down. He didn't come down. And the Father didn't send the angels. Because he loved us. Well, Jesus <clears throat> was laid in that new tomb. He was there three days and three nights. But he come forth from the dead. Raised from the dead. He appeared to the women and he, he appeared to his disciples and he appeared to other folks and the scriptures say he appeared to better than 500 people at one time. He appeared to a lot of people, had a lot of witnesses that he had come forth from the grave, grave was alive. Then one day, he went over the mountain and went out towards Bethany his disciples with him, and he ascended into heaven. The angels said, Why are you men standing here gazing? He said, He's coming again, like manner. He's coming again because he loves us. Amen. Going to come after us and take us home. Amen. We're going to live with him forever because he loves us. I want to go to the law. We ought to love God's law. Amen. Some of the Psalms, their songs, they sung that they loved the law of God. We ought to love the law of God. We all preach that the law can't save you. Matthew 5 and 20, Jesus said, Except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you in no case can enter the kingdom of heaven. They, they thought that keeping the law would save them. Well, if you'd kept it from birth all along, you wouldn't need a Savior. Uh, but friends, nobody, but nobody has done that. Amen. Paul said Romans 3 and 23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
That includes every one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means the law condemns us instead of setting us free. That's true of everybody. He said all. Solomon said, there's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Boy, not one. Not one. Then the law condemns and don't save. John come on pretty strong. First John 1 and 8. He, he said, we deceive ourselves if we say we have no sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The Apostle Paul evidently done more work than any of the others of the apostles. But in the seventh chapter of Romans letter, he says, that that I would do, I do not. That that I would not, that I do. He said, it's not I that's sin, but it's the sin that's in my flesh. Oh, when you're cleaned up inside, uh, uh, the, the spiritual side of you uh, has a will to please God, but the old flesh still has a will to please itself. And as long as we live, there's a warfare between our spirit and our flesh. The law didn't save anybody. There's a young man, and you know it well, that run down to Jesus and bowed down before him. And right then, the world, most of the religious world around us would say, Oh, take him in, he's accepted Christ. He bowed down before Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He thought he could do something. Some kind of work. He thought he was good. Jesus said, why call me good? None good but God. He thought it was good. He thought he had kept the commandments. Jesus told him to keep the commandments. But he was going to try him. But the two big ones. He, started, he said, which ones? And he started quoting some commandments. And, and he said, these I've kept my youth up. He had not. And Jesus proved it to him. It doesn't say it, but I believe that young fellow knew he'd been had. And Jesus proved that he wasn't so good. You see, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which is the first and greatest commandment? He said, the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He said, the second one is lacking unto it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. Listen. That young man said, he kept them, what like I yet? Jesus said, go sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. I think he tried him with those two commandments, didn't he? He hadn't kept nothing because of keeping the law, it has to be some love involved. If you 
avoiding committing adultery in order to be saved, you're not keeping the law. If you're uh, avoiding adultery because you love the Lord and want to do uh, what He wants you to do, you're keeping the commandments. Lives involved. If it's not, you're not keeping them. We couldn't have been saved without the law. Without the law, we wouldn't know that we were sinners. Paul said, I was alive once without the law. That many wouldn't separated from God. I was alive once without the law. But the commandment comes, sin revived, and I died. He died a spiritual death. Become separated from God when he realized he was a sinner. He heard the commandments. We heard the commandments. We knew that we were sinners. That's why uh, we sought after a Savior. So the law ought to be precious to us. We ought to love it. We couldn't have been saved without it because we wouldn't have known that we're sinners. We wouldn't have known to seek the Lord to be saved if it hadn't been for the law. We would thought it would have been like that young man. We thought we was all right. But we wasn't. Nobody is. We ought to love the law, brethren. We ought to love the church. You know, I didn't, I told you it's going to hit the highlights and I didn't mention the church because I wanted to mention it here. I'm going to tell you this morning that you ought to love the church. But the church didn't save you. No, it didn't save you. Jesus is the Savior. Nobody else can save you. Jesus, while he was in that ministry, public ministry of three and a half years that I talked about, there was a point in time that he went up into the mountain, horns of Hatton, they're called, I think, and he prayed all night wrong. And then when it comes down where it plains out like that, and here we'd call it a hill instead of a mountain, uh, uh, but up there on that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, he called his disciples unto him. Uh, they had, uh, he had called out uh, those that John had baptized, and uh, he, he had had the disciples bothering others, but he called unto him whom he would. The scriptures say it that way, I think. And he organized his church there on that hill. And it wasn't just that he organized them. He organized them uh, to operate without his physical presence. That's what he did up there that day. I believe he had a church before he went up there. But he organized it up there uh, so it could operate without his physical presence. And it does. But that wasn't all he did. He commissioned it. He gave it that great commission to go into all the world to teach and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Boy, we have a great commission. 
It's to the world. And you'd say, well, I can't go with all the world. You can go to your part of it. And we ought to. When he sends us forth, we ought to go. And if you'll be willing, he'll send you somewhere. Listen. Serve the Lord and go where he tells you, when he tells you. And your ministry will be a good one. You'll see people saved. Yes, the church was commissioned that day to go into all the world. And no, it didn't save us. But a lot of people think it does. There's, there's lots of so-called churches that all they want people to do is walk down the aisle and say, I believe in Jesus. They've baptized them in order to be saved. You talk about lies. They're proclaiming lies. But the church that Jesus built is said uh, in the Gospels of Timothy, the verse, he said, it's, it's the ground of the truth. All the truth is brought to us by the church. We ought to love the church because we'd have never heard the truth if it hadn't been for Jesus establishing his church and sending it into the world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If we had never heard the truth, there wouldn't be no way that we could, that we could be saved. Uh, though the church don't save us, we couldn't have been saved without it. Amen. Well, the world needs the church today. I was telling my wife, to my wife something about that. And she said about the Pentecostals that believe in being saved, you know. And a lot of them do. There's two kinds of Pentecostals. One crew of them believes hip, hip, hooray, don't believe nothing. There is another group that believes in that old knee route like we do, but they believe in everything else besides that, all kinds of junk. But uh, they witness the people and other people get saved. But they didn't exist just a little bit over 100 years ago and they heard it from the church <laughs> yes they did I'm telling you if it wasn't for the church we wouldn't know the truth now it's the pillar and the ground of the truth and we wouldn't have known it if it hadn't been for the, uh, that we wouldn't have known about Jesus we wouldn't have known he died at Calvary for us we wouldn't know how much he loves us But I tell you, love's a good subject. Huh? I've talked about God's love before, but I've never gone into it this way, all about it. Boy. Listen. We ought to love lost souls. Amen. Listen. The people that are lost 
are going to die, and it could be today, and they are going to lift up their eyes like that rich man in a devil's hell. They're going to be in torments. They're going to be in hell uh, forever and ever and ever and ever. I can't imagine forever. I remember a young fella. I told him, a young fella was in the truck with me. I, I told him, he's asking questions, and I told him that God always was. He's forever from everlasting to everlasting. He said, you mean God don't have a mother and dad? <laughs> a lot of people ain't been told, so they need to hear it. I told him that God always was. He didn't have it again. He always existed. It was a clear day. Wasn't a cloud in the sky, just clear as it could be. And I said, you see that space up there? There's no end to it. That's why eternity. That's why God is. He always was, and he'll always be. That's wonderful. Wonderful to know the Lord. But there's lots and lots of people that don't know a thing about the Lord. We need to be busy. We need to let the Lord lead us. Sometimes when you witness to somebody it won't turn out good. Sometimes when you preach to somebody, it won't turn out too good. What we need to follow the leadership of the Lord. I moved to Bowling Green a little over a year ago. Before that, I lived in Macon County, Tennessee. There was a man that lived about a mile and a half from me, and he worked on the lawnmowers and maybe chainsaws and stuff like that, weed eaters. And, and uh, <clears throat> I got acquainted with him. I carried some stuff out there to him a few times and got acquainted with him, and I really liked that fellow. And best of all, I think he really liked me. And one day the Lord told me to witness to him. And so I asked him if he was a Christian. And he said, I hadn't been to church in 60 years. I was angry that I asked him. And I started telling him he needed to be saved and he needed to be born again. And he, he was rejecting it. And I said, Chuck, you're going to go to hell. And he turned around and walked off. As he's walking off, he said, I got to be somewhere. Now, that sounds really bad, but I know that man thought a lot of me. Since he did, I believe that God's used that a lot of times since he walked off that day, and I believe it will as long as he lives, because he knew I thought a lot of him. He thought a lot of me. He, 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 won't, he won't forget that. God, I don't believe the Lord will let him forget it. And maybe if he hadn't, maybe he'll get saved somewhere along the line. 
He had a bad experience in church when he was just a kid. And we need to be careful that that don't happen. Amen. If it does, some of our children could be just like that man. Six, 60 years later, say, I haven't been in our church in 60 years. We need to be careful. Amen. We need to love the church. We need to love everybody. We need to love one another, brethren. Amen. I'm not pastoring now. I'm into missions, but uh, I've got a pastor. I belong to Fairview Memorial. Casey, Casey Cole is my pastor. We need to love the pastor. Amen. We need to get behind them. Boy, it's dangerous not to. I'll tell you a story. Tell you a story. I was at the church way back, pastoring, and I think everybody thought a lot of me, and I thought a lot of everybody. There was two people just didn't like me. They didn't like what I was preaching. They didn't like Baptist doctrine. And they gave me a hard time, man and his wife. That went on for a pretty good while. One day I was preaching and I couldn't help from seeing that, that woman was preaching to her husband and I knew I was the subject. Felt like I was. <laughs> I saw that while I'm preaching and the Lord spoke to me. It was just like I'd have been on that mountain back there. I mean, he didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but it was just as loud. He said, I'll take care of her. I, I never thought, I, couldn't, I didn't know what he was talking about. He just said he'd take care of her. I had no idea why he was going to do that or what he was talking about. But Monday morning I did. They called me and that woman was in the hospital, dying on her deathbed. And I went to the hospital. She's too bad, too far gone to talk to but I talked to him. I treated him good. And she died. I'm telling you what. Better be careful how you talk about God's preachers. Because they were talking about what God sent me to tell them. He don't like it. He don't like it. Oh, there's hard knots out there for us, brother. But we need to love the Lord and serve Him. We need to love, uh, uh, love everybody. Love, uh, love everybody. That's, that's the way we need to do. We're even told to, to love our enemies. But uh, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? I wonder all the time. I ask myself, do I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? And I'll ask right then and there, I'll ask the Lord, Lord, help me. If I don't, help me. It's wonderful to have good neighbors. Some you can love. But in that story Jesus told about that man falling among the thieves down there, it's the one that come by and helped him that was the neighbor. That was the good neighbor. 
Boy, people that reach out to us and help us, we ought, we ought to love them. I had, uh, I moved into the Rocky Mountain community of Macon County, Tennessee, uh, <clears throat> built a house in 1968, and I lived there all that time until last year, and I, except two years, I was no how. Uh, <clears throat> I had good neighbors. Boy, that makes your life better, don't it? Have good neighbors. I moved into I moved into Bowling Green. The people I don't have no neighbor on the right hand side of them as I look out. We're right across the road, have a neighbor there, and they've been real nice to us. I invited them to the last revival we had. They didn't come, but I invited them. Neighbor on the other side has been real nice to us. They've been just as nice as could be. I mean, talking about the men, their wives, too, and the kids. They're all just as nice as they could be to us. I believe I could go over and ask their help, and they'd come over and help me do things. But this morning, Alice looked out the door. Those two neighbors and their wives was out there in the road, joined hands, praying. I don't know what they're saved or not. I want to find out. But that's, that's a lot better than if there's out there cussing in it. Oh, yes, yes, yes. If we want to have good friends and neighbors, we need to be good friends and be good neighbors. It makes the difference. Lord, we need to, we need to do everything. I was going to talk to you about the husband's wife. The husband's supposed to love the wife. Supposed to love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Then he says, in another verse, he said, husband ought to love the wife like he loves himself. Boy, it's important that we do, that we love our wives. They're supposed to reverence us, reverence us. And we're supposed to rule the house. Brethren, we're supposed to we're supposed to have our wives and their children in church. We're supposed to let them know about Jesus and teach them about Jesus. Sometimes it's hard. I'm a little over, but I want to tell you this. I was going to Countville when a six-year-old. My daughter did. She comes to Countville when she's six-year-old and she's little for age. And, and she'd ask me questions and it just scared me to death. I was afraid I'd say the wrong thing, her that young. When his, she was eight and a half year old, we was in a meeting. My brother is pastor. And he got through preaching. He gave an altar call. And she was eight and a half year old and come running to the altar. And I followed her up there and I fell down right there on my knees. And by the time my knees hit the floor, the Lord was saying, everything's all right. And I just stood right back up. I did. About two minutes, my daughter leaped off of that altar and grabbed me around the waist, and we had a good time. <laughs> but listen, if I hadn't carried her to the church, 
she might have not known the truth, might not have been saved. But she lived in Florida and cared her children, and her husband went with her. She married a Catholic. But that man got saved. Yeah. My daughter and my son, two grandsons and two granddaughters, saved. And that son-in-law got saved, a Catholic. He was, had cancer and he was about to die. And he was going into Vanderbilt. And he come the way he went out to eat. And I followed him, walked beside of him out to, <coughs> out, <coughs> out to the car. And I said, Mark, I want to ask you about your soul. I knew he knew what I meant because he'd been going to our church, our kind of church for a good while. And he said, I'm good. And boy, I was glad to hear that. Next day, I asked him to tell him experience. And he told me that two years before, he felt like something bad was going to happen. He said, I started praying every day. And about a, about a year ago, he said, I got peace. I said, Mark, I'm going to hear that, but <laughs> listen, they carry your children to the church so they can get saved. And you need to get your neighbors in the church if you can. May God bless you. I'll close right here.